0: Amen. Take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Second Peter. Continuing our journey verse by verse through the second letter of Peter Second Peter chapter one, verses five through nine. Hear now the word of the living God. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed From his old sins. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, O Lord, we pray that the voice of Christ might be made known to his sheep, that the Holy Spirit may incline our hearts and minds and affections to receive this word, that you, the triune God, one in three, would be glorified, and that we, your people, would be edified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Is it possible for a person to forget the most important thing? It's a simple question, really. We know that it's possible to forget things, for each of us has forgotten at least one thing, and if you're like me, many things in this earthly life. We are finite, fallible, and sinful creatures. It is possible to forget things, but is it possible to even forget the most important of things? Verse 9 of our text says that an individual who lacks the things that this passage of Scripture calls us to add to our faith, this one has, quote, "forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." End quote. Who, then, we ask, is forgetful? Well, according to Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is the one who does not add to their faith. But what are we to add? Well, the text tells us we are to add virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. But we just sang a moment ago that there is no work that we must add to stand before his throne. So is Peter now making a new claim on the gospel? Is he saying that you must do something else in order to see heaven? Or is he doing something altogether different? I would submit to you that Peter's call to not be forgetful is this call. That because Christ has given us everything by his divine power for life and godliness... That we appropriate all of those things through precious promises. That we are partakers of the divine nature. Christ has done it all. We live out that faith through virtue and knowledge and self-control. And on and on the list goes. But we need not be afraid of this word, add. Notice what Peter says in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add. We'll talk about the addition in just a moment. But notice this whole thing begins in verse five with the phrase, for this reason. Boys and girls, as you read, as I read, it's important when we see phrases like that, for this reason, to remind ourselves, well, what's the reason? And that takes us back to the last two weeks, doesn't it, in the book of Second Peter. The reason is what we saw in verses three and four. That through His divine power, Christ has given to us all things that we need for life and godliness. It's already been provided in Christ through the knowledge of him. So because of that, for this reason, add to your faith these things. It's because we have Christ's provision that Peter can say, live in it, move in it, do something with it. It is yours in Christ." But notice, before we leave this phrase, for this reason. Notice that Christ's provision is listed first, then a call to add things to our faith. Said another way, Christ's provision is given, and then a call to virtues. There's an order throughout all of the pages of Holy Scripture. Another way to say it is that God's grace is spoken of before there is a call to work. God's grace in Christ is the foundation. We simply build on that solid foundation. There's no more foundation to be laid. So in all of the talk of adding knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, in all of that talk, do not lose sight of how Peter begins. You have all you need in Christ for life and godliness. Don't lose sight of Christ in your day-to-day quest to grow in these virtues. It is not of your own strength. And particularly when we see phrases like self-control. Lord willing, this evening we'll look at this one particular virtue through the pages of Holy Scripture. When we think about self-control of all of the things in this list, sometimes we think, well, self control, that's me. I need to bare knuckle it. I need to hold on. I need to work harder. But Peter has in mind that because Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, we are to grow out of this provision in self control, among other things. So he says, for this reason, giving all diligence, add. And then there's a list. There's something that we are to be diligent about. We're to give diligence to add to our faith. But this phrase, add, is then followed by a list of items. Now this list is a literary device where a chain or a list of items leads to a climax. This is actually a device that is seen in various types of literature from the period, for instance, in the writings of the Apocrypha, or even the Jewish Mishnah, there is this kind of format where a writer will say, add this, 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 and this, and it builds to a climax. And this is important because it would be wrong-headed of us to think, well, I've got faith, now I need to work for a while on virtue. And then a few years when I get virtue down, then I'll think about knowledge which, by the way, the whole of Second Peter has already discussed this idea of knowledge. And then once I have knowledge down, once I have that mastered down, then I'll ascend the ladder to self-control. And if I live long enough, maybe I'll get in my 80s or 90s to the last one on the list and I'll start being a loving person. <laughs> this is not a list of things to do one after the other. This is a literary device. We're to be growing in all of these things at the same time. And we have all we need by Christ's provision, His promises, and His divine power to do so. But notice as well that Peter gives his list of virtues. It begins with what? Faith. And it ends with love. One scholar has noted that all New Testament lists of virtues do the same thing they begin with faith and they end with love. Romans 5 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 13. It's almost as if faith and love are the bookends to the Christian life. So we should be growing in these virtues, and that's what Peter means by add. He doesn't mean Christ's work is insufficient, he doesn't mean your task is to finish and eke yourself into heaven. Well, you have all that you need for eternal life. It's Christ. It's his provision. He's given it to you by his promises and power. You are to flesh this out, live this out and grow and add to your faith these things. So let us talk then about these things, brothers and sisters. I'll give us three points or three headings to do so. The first will be diligent living, and I'm just borrowing from Peter's words, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, okay? Diligent living. Diligent living. So we're to give all diligence and add to our faith this list of items. Remember verses one through four make clear to us that it is Christ's power that is given to us all that we need for life and godliness. We're living out of His provision. It's not as though you will eventually become a Christian. You're either united to Christ or you're not. In union with Christ, His righteous record becoming yours by faith, your unrighteous record having been taken by Him by faith, you now stand before God Clothed in the pure, pristine, perfect, and sufficient, eternally, righteousness of Christ. That's who you are. But you are to add and live in, in this Christian life, a variety of things. Things that you don't naturally have in full measure, by birth. I hate to break it to you, but you weren't born perfectly virtuous. You don't know everything there is to know and how to live accordingly, no offense. None of you is perfect at self-control, neither am I. Your patience, for as we'll see, that's probably the kind of way that we would interpret that word perseverance. Your patience sometimes, or a lot of the times, is lacking, Some of you are more godly than others. Some of us are less godly than you. Your brotherly kindness is not something that you regularly have that you don't have to work at by the Spirit's aid. And in keeping with just about every page of Scripture, you need to love your brothers and sisters more than you currently do. This is what Peter is saying. Christ has provided all things necessary and now we're going to use that for the glory of Christ. Several years ago, I gifted my wife with a set of French cookware. I know some of you, that doesn't sound romantic. You know, you could, Pastor, the, the romantic gift that you give your wife is something to cook with? I mean, it's, but trust me, it's what she wanted and she loves. And that cookware is complete, it is what it is. There's nothing that we add to that cookware. It just is what it is. We don't have to add minerals. We don't have to add copper for it. It's just copper. That's just what it is. But what we do with them, what she does with them more than anyone else, but what our family does with them is we cook with them. We add to them a whole host of things. And beautiful meals come to the table because the cookware is there. But we're adding to it. And that's what the Christian life is. It's adding to our faith. This faith that Peter says is precious. Virtue and knowledge and self-control. Let's look then at this diligent living. Faith here. Add to your faith virtue. Faith would be personal trust. Hebrews 11 reminds us that without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the evidence, the conviction of things not seen. That things of the spiritual realm, things of spiritual varieties have become evident to us where they weren't evident before. And we trust the person who brings the revelation of those things, Jesus Christ. That's faith. Sometimes we say, is that person in the faith? Meaning, do they have the right doctrine? Do they have a right saving understanding of what is true and what is not. But here, it's not so much the faith, but your faith, your personal resting in Christ. We're to add to that virtue. You could say that virtue is moral excellence. It's used in chapter 1, verse 3, isn't it? There, Peter says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And probably a majority of commentators would say that word virtue there is Christ's glory and virtue. He's called us according to that. So we're to be growing in virtue. We're to be virtuous people. But in addition to faith and virtue, we are to have knowledge. Knowledge of God's word and ways in Christ. We're to be growing in knowledge. Again, Second Peter is a book full of the theme of knowledge. The Puritan Matthew Poole says this regarding this word, quote, By this may be meant spiritual prudence, which governs and directs other virtues in their actings. And it is called knowledge. Because it consists in the practical knowledge of the will of God. Some might even press further and say this is calling us to grow in knowledge that becomes a practical guide of what we ought to do, ergo, wisdom. We're to be growing by Christ's provision in faith, in virtue or moral excellence, and in knowledge. You may say, well, isn't wisdom a gift of God? Yes, it is. How do I grow in this knowledge or this wisdom? Well, you ask the Lord for it. You read his word. You gaze at Christ. You begin to put the pages of scripture together and say, you know what? I no longer think this would be wise. Let me give you one example. You're a single young man. You have found yourself interested in a Christian woman. You're both in your, say, mid-twenties. You begin to talk to one another. You begin to have phone conversations. You see her at church. There is that feeling of warmth on the inside when you see her. You find yourself attracted to her. You begin to court or date one another. And so in wisdom you begin to say, you know, it probably would be good. It probably would be wise. It probably would be knowledgeable of who we know we are as sinners and who God has called us to be for us not to be spending a lot of alone time together all the time behind closed doors. Now, in that moment, you're making a decision of, about who you know you are as a sinner who has a Savior and what is wise where you're able to be tempted, how God's word would inform what is the most appropriate path to take. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you're in sin if you've ever happened to find yourself with someone of the opposite sex for a moment behind a closed door. What I'm saying is there are times where it's wise to do something and not wise. Similarly, knowing doctrine helps you to praise God. You are to add to your faith virtue and knowledge. Some of you sit in this room and you have said, I'm here because I like this, that or the other but I also like the fact that we sing these kinds of songs. What's happened to you? Well, you've begun to shift in your Christian life. You've studied the word and you've realized, you know what? I should be singing more doctrine rather than less doctrine. I should be singing as a way for Christ's people to be edified in the word versus me to have my own private emotional moment. What's happened? You've added to your faith virtue and knowledge and it's impacting how you're living your life. We want to add to our faith virtue and knowledge. Similarly, self-control. A part of diligent living is growing in self-control. Now what's staggering about this one is that When we get to chapter two in a few weeks, Lord willing, you will notice that over and over and over again, the false teachers are marked by a lack of self-control. Just flip over one page to chapter two. Chapter two, verse 10. In fact, all of chapter two is about false teachers. What they teach, how they act, their lies. Listen to how they're described. 2 Peter 2.10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They walk in lust. They cannot control it. Chapter 2, verse 13. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They, they are marked by a kind of immoral carousing that they consider pleasurable. It's the desire of their hearts. There's no control of self. Verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Now we have moments like that, don't we, in the Christian life where there's a sin that we see that we're wrestling with and sometimes it feels to us like we cannot stop it. That's actually a lie because the scripture says sin no longer reigns over us. So in Christ we do have the ability to fight sin. Whereas an unbeliever does not. They may clean themselves up. They may try to become more moral. But their hearts are no longer or any more reigned by the Holy Spirit than before. A lack of self-control. They, they can't stop doing what they're doing. Verse 19 While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. You know what a major form of the lack of self control feels like? Slavery. I just can't. Interesting, Peter says grow in faith, virtue, knowledge, and self control. Perseverance, this could be translated patience or endurance. I know that when we see that word as reformed or Calvinistic people, every time we see the word perseverance, we think perseverance of the saints. (laughs) Once a person is truly saved, they will persevere to the end. And that is absolutely true. But here, I think the virtue being talked about is the willingness to endure in life. The willingness to be patient it's used all over the New Testament to describe believers. I don't normally do this, but let me just give you a list that one scholar lists. All of these verses describe believers as being people who endure or are patient or persevere. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Romans eight twenty five, Colossians 1, 11. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4. 1 Timothy 6, 11. 2 Timothy three ten, Titus 2, 2. Hebrews 12:1, 1. James 1, three and four. James 5:11. Revelation two, two through three. Revelation 2, verse 19. If you want the list, shoot me an email. I'll be glad to cut and paste it to you. In other words, Peter's not the only one to say, "Hey, Christians, be patient. Be those who grow in endurance with the trials of life. Another part of diligent living is godliness. One way to consider godliness would be first table issues. Some of you know what I mean when I say first table issues. Some of you are thinking, is he talking about manners at the table? What is a first table issue? Well, God's law, his forever unending moral law was given in summary form to Moses in two tables, two groups. The first four commandments speak to our responsibility to God. No other gods but him. Do not fashion idols or worship him in an idolatrous way. Revere his name and his attributes and honor and keep holy his day. That's the first table. The second table is, well, commandments five through ten, and they really talk about how I'm to treat you and you're to treat me. Godliness really is at its core an expression of the first table of God's law. It's an expression of a person who is growing into conformity to Christ. Interestingly enough, what is Peter said in Second Peter one three, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by the end of the book, we're going to see that as we wait, sometimes with great patience and suffering, there is a word that marks us, or should mark us. Second Peter three eleven. therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Some translations might render this piety. Not being a pious person who's always looking down at everyone. Piety. That Christ and his word has so infused who I am that I want to honor God increasingly. And when I don't, I'm disappointed. That I love God's ways. It's the cry of the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It's an expression of Psalm 1. But in addition to this and our diligent living, we are to add brotherly kindness. This is a specific kind of kindness. Notice it's brotherly kindness. At its core this would be loving other Christians, loving brothers and sisters in the faith. A question for us this morning. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but do we love those for whom he's died? Do you, do you love the family, so to speak? And I do mean our local church, but I mean all blood-bought believers, even those that are more difficult to love, like you and me. What about those who aren't like us theologically? There's not much brotherly kindness out there in theological dialogue today, is there? I may disagree with an interpretation that you have of Scripture, but Christ spread his arms wide and bled for you. Is that the posture of your heart? You see, brotherly kindness for those who are in the faith, but who are not exactly where we are, is not compromise. It's hard to love them. They're wrong about this. They may be or we may be <laughs> but do we love them the last one in this list and every other list of virtues is love in fact the scripture is clear that love is the goal is it not just two passages of scripture to pass on to you first timothy chapter 1 verse 5 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. He goes on to say from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. How about what Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. There we hear these words. Colossians three fourteen. But above all these things, put on Love, which is the bond of perfection. So diligent living looks like a person who says, Christ has provided to me through knowledge of him, by promises given to me through him, by his power, he's given to me all things necessary for eternal life and for godliness, So I want to grow in these kinds of biblical virtues, not because growing in them will be the ground of my salvation, but because it will display God's glorious work of salvation in me. So I want to live diligently. But then Peter gives reasons for this, and this takes us to our second point, and that is fruitful knowledge. Look at verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're just joining us today for the last few weeks, we've seen that knowledge of God, particularly in Christ, is really the main theme of this book. But Peter wants us to be fruitful in our knowledge. He wants us to have a knowledge that produces fruit. And in verse 8, he's saying, if you're living in all of these virtues, then you will be fruitful. You will not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barren there could be viewed as useless, slothful or lazy, ineffective, ineffective. At the end of the day, don't we want to be fruitful for Christ? The other word there is the opposite of that, unfruitful. Not living according to our purpose. So he's given us all things that we need for life and godliness. We are to live diligently, to add to our faith these things. And if we don't, we will be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. There Paul writes these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. Just to be clear, it does not say work for your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's almost as if Paul and Peter are playing in the same orchestra from the same sheet of music. We've been given everything we need by God. But we are to do something with it. And there are areas in which we need to grow. So let's go. Christ has provided all that we need. But are we growing in that? Are we living out of that? Diligent living. But secondly, fruitful knowledge. Well, thirdly and finally, I want to submit to you that in verse 9, Peter gives us A third focus, and that is remembering eyes. Remembering eyes. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So we are to add to our faith virtue and knowledge, and self-control, and godliness, and patience, brotherly kindness, and love. If we do, we'll be fruitful. We won't be barren in our knowledge. If we don't, we'll demonstrate what? A short-sightedness and blindness, and perhaps a kind of amnesia. A spiritual amnesia. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, I don't know if you've spent much time with 2 Peter 1, verse 9, but if you do and you read saints of old, you will find a mixed picture on what this verse means. Some scholars and commentary, commentators that we would trust would say he means a believer who has forgotten who he is in Christ. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. In fact, his having forgotten is so bad, his amnesia is so bad that he's living in an unbarren and unfruitful way. Other scholars would say that the blindness here, the short-sightedness even to blindness is pointing out that this person Is saying that they're in Christ, (laughs) but they've forgotten what the message of Christ actually is salvation from sins, and their life demonstrates that they don't actually have Christ. That would be individuals like John Calvin, John Gill. It may not be satisfying for you this morning, but I'm going to submit to you that I kind of like the path that the Puritan Matthew Poole takes. Because on 2 Peter 1.9, he basically says, it could be this, <laughs> or it could be that. It could be, if taken as a believer, one who doesn't have these virtues has forgotten who they are. They've just forgotten that they've been cleansed from old sins, that they're free to be fruitful in Christ, to add to their faith. But then he says, if it's of an unbeliever, then ultimately something akin to the idea that they claim Christ, but they know not Christ. They don't have knowledge of Christ. So let me ask you, If you're here and you claim Christ, do you remember that you have been cleansed from old sins? Do you remember that you have been cleansed from old sins? Do you have in view what Christ has done for you? That he lived a perfect life in your stead. He died on the cross That his blood was spilt for your infractions. That he lovingly and willingly died for you. And has given you all that you need for life and godliness and calls you to grow in it. Grow by his grace in self-control. Grow by his grace in patience. Or has your life gotten so hectic? Has your pattern of living gotten so hectic that you have gotten to the point where you've really forgotten who you are? And if you're here and you're claiming Christ, but you absolutely have no desire to live according to what this text calls you to live according to, your interest is not really in the things of Christ, then is it possible that, friend, you've really forgotten the truth all along you claim it but you don't know it you're blind so what kind of forgetfulness is there here well in any room in any church until christ returns there will be believers who have forgotten that they've been cleansed from old sins I, I lean towards the interpretation of verse 9 being that of a believer only because of the language of that phrase has forgotten that he was cleansed from old sins. I actually love that phrase. <laughs> the old stuff, you've been cleansed from it if you're in Christ. But I think it is equally valid. For us to say that because Peter talks about blindness, a person who has no interest in these kinds of virtues ought to ask themselves, have I ever really seen Christ? So look at this verse and ask yourself, do I have remembering eyes? Do I remember who Christ is, what he's done, and who I am in him? Do I remember that I've been cleansed from old sins? That I have everything that I need in Christ for life and godliness? If so, press in. Give diligence. Don't say to yourself, well, I haven't been diligent for the last three years. Away with the excuses of your past history. Today, say, because Christ has promised me in His Word that I have everything that I need for godliness... Now I'm going to press into it. I'm going to pray when I don't love people. I'm going to seek to be patient. I'm going to go to brothers and sisters and say, would you help me to be accountable? I am not a patient person. But it's out of love for Christ that I want to be fruitful. I don't want to be barren. I don't want to live as if I haven't ever actually seen Christ with my spiritual eyes. So often in the Christian life, what keeps us from moving forward is not that we're not saved, it's that we've returned to the old covenant works way of thinking. It's really about my performance. And day in and day out, we see a lack of performance, so this new day is nothing but a day to embrace failure. Have you forgotten that Christ died for all of your sins? You are free to remember who you are and to give diligent attention to these virtues. Is it possible to forget even the most important thing? If you're here and you're not in Christ, you're blind to the most important thing ever. That you are at war with a God who must punish your sins and he has sent his son to die for sinners like you. If you're here and your current journey in the Christian faith has been one where you haven't been diligent in considering these glorious fruit, there is absolutely no reason why even today you can't say, bless God for his mercy in saving me. His mercy is new every morning. I want to press in today. Let's pray together. Living God, we pray that you would help us to give diligence to add things to our faith. But to do so remembering that it's by the promises and power of Christ that we have all that we need. So help us to unpack the glorious provision that Christ has made and to put these things into place. Grow in us, O Lord, these virtues. Help us, we ask. We pray for any who are here who do not know Christ. May they come to see Him and savor Him as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.